Buzzkill. 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 Blah, blah, blah. Buzzkill. Episode of Buzzkill Pod, episode 55. Mamma mia, where did the time go? I am so chuffed, as the UK folks would say, uh, to have you here. You know, I'm sitting here in my cashmere robe and hoisting my Jamaican Blue Mountain Roast, and I'm gazing upon the sprawling BK estates. I see the llamas roaming free, the albino peacocks strutting about, and of course the koalas are eyebrow deep in eucalyptus. We even have some Kenny G playing in the background and diffusing some quality essential oils to help them feel more relaxed and expressive. It's really about creating that space to just be, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm having diet Shasta while folding laundry, staring at a centipede in my basement office right now. Do you feel better that I just ratted myself out? <laughs> well... Well, it's all good, my fine friends. Happiness is an inside job, right? And I'm happy, content, and once again, thrilled that you're here and listening. I'm excited about this episode, and not because I get to rant a bit, but because I think it's important to get certain things out. The great thing about recovery these days is that there's so much information out there. The bad thing about recovery is that there's so much information out there. So the key to understanding, you know, going through all this and sorting through the, uh, all the information is what is wheat, what is the chaff? There's a lot of wheat out there, which is not great for your gluten-free folks, but there's also some chaff. And chaff is what we're going to be talking about. This episode is dedicated to the myths surrounding recovery. And the funny thing is that most of these things that we hear about that I'll be talking about come from people in recovery themselves which is very interesting. So we'll definitely take a bit of a deep dive here on some of the misconceptions about addiction recovery. Now, this was originally a Facebook Live I did yesterday. And, you know, I guess if I wanted to, I could have just taken the audio and slapped it on here and called it a day. But gentle listeners, you know me better than I know myself. I could never do that. So I opened it up a bit and recorded a funky, fresh production of it because I care deeply about your auditory experience. I want you to have the best production possible. It's one of my core beliefs. Just like, you know, those little animated shorts you see on social media? I pronounce them GIF and not GIF. You know, it's that kind of deep core belief. (laughs) Like, I can... You know, if I listen carefully now, I can already hear the angry emails being composed. Ooh, sweetness. Anyway, let's get into it, shall we? Thanks again. Here we go, Buzzkill. Buzzkill. 
All right, let's get down to brass tacks, shall we? That's how we do things here on Buzzkill. Um, so once again, I'm talking about common myths, misconceptions surrounding addiction recovery. And these are in no particular order. I'm just going to go with what, uh, what came to mind. Um, the first one is relapse is a part of recovery. La dee dee. Sigh. Um, this is the biggest one that comes from within the recovery community. And it's something that I have railed for or railed against for years. And I know people mean well when they say this to a fellow addict or alcoholic who has relapsed. But it's also dangerous to repeat this kind of thing. And why is that? Well, gentle listener, I have a few reasons. <laughs> I think, first of all, it sets the bar of recovery low. And that kind of fuels pessimism and low expectations for people seeking recovery and for those in their lives, like family and friends. I think second, it also minimizes the pain and potential loss of life involved uh, in someone who's relapsed. Imagine, you know, someone who's lost a child, you know, parents who've lost their child to an overdose or or nearly, uh, you know, lost another member to a drunk driver accident or something, I don't know, something like that. And you kind of just saying, well, hey, that's just what it is. What can you do? And it really kind of downplays uh, the seriousness of what's going on. I think third, it also offers the person seeking recovery in a way, an invitation and excuse for continued use. By normalizing episodes of continued use, you know, saying this, it almost creates an escape hatch. It, it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. People in recovery, especially new to recovery, this is, you know, people who are, who are new through the door, they think that it's actually all right to relapse. I mean, everyone does it, right? It's, part, it's a catchphrase. It must be, must be true. So that's, there's that. And lastly, that relapse is part of recovery phrase is this far away from kind of the once an addict, always an addict. Once a dopehead, always a dopehead. And it's that kind of mantra that, you know, has fueled stigma, you know, and again, even amongst people in recovery. And so it sets the bar low. It doesn't give anyone hope. So my interpretation, the way I see it, is relapse is part of the illness, not recovery. You know, nowhere in any text or program or anywhere does it say, okay, now that you've completed and worked through these wonderful steps and procedures, you're feeling great. It's time to go back out and pound a few back, you know, pound a few beers back or smoke up. No. Relapse is part of the addiction and we have to see it that way. You know, most, most of us may have another drink or drug use in them, but not another recovery. So let's be careful when we toss that relapse is part of recovery thing around. If you feel uncomfortable about someone's relapse, that's okay. Just perhaps give them encouragement in another way. Let them know that, you know, this does happen to many people and it's part of their journey uh, and, and that you're there for them and that people will be there for them and that it's something that has happened before. And so there's other ways to commiserate or at least give hope because when we say relapse is part of the recovery, uh, we're, we're kind of taking away some of that hope. And it adds nothing, and it really dismisses the reality of addiction. The other one I hear is recovery is oh, boring. Hmm. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I hear this one a lot. And it's often from newly minted people in recovery. You know, they get past the pink cloud which is essentially, you know, that euphoric phase uh, very early in recovery where you feel invincible and nothing's going to stop you and you're just in love with the world and tra-la-la. And then you get into that actual, the actual day-to-day of living. And that's where people find it boring. What's ironic, (laughs) I kind of laugh every time I hear this, is that the life of the addict is boring. That is what's boring. It's repetitive and tedious and with nowhere to go, you know, like we're, we we drink the same amount, or we drink all day, or we drug all day, and we just lie around it's like a like an opium den, and we just do nothing other than just get the next fix. That is boring, and you know, it's it's when we get into recovery, we have a whole new world that opens up to us. I don't know of any or you know any happily sober and clean people complaining about being bored. It's because they're usually so busy doing so really co- so many cool things and living life well, they don't have time to complain. You know, the reason people say it's boring is that there's also there's no drama anymore. Things are quiet now. You know, but they get uncomfortable with the quiet and serene. It's not something they're used to. And also addiction takes everything from you, you know, your hobbies, fun activities, exercise routines, friendships, etc. So of course when we strip away the one thing that you used to do, there's then there's a lot of nothing. But we don't have to look at it that way. You know, that 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 nothing is actually a clean slate and you get to decide to do what to do with it. And this is the chance to explore new things or go back to things you used to do and love. For me it was getting back to writing, which was how my blog started and you know I and I tried things like rock climbing which I'd never done and some of those other things I picked up running and I haven't looked back since you just never know what will open up for you and you just have to see it as an opportunity and not a death sentence it's up to you what you make of that amazing and calm space before you now on the other side you may also have people in your life saying I liked you better when you drank but this is more about them than you. This has nothing to do with how much fun you are or not. You know, some people need their drinking buddy or their partner in crime. And when they lose that person, you know, they have to look at themselves. And sometimes they don't want to. So they point the finger and try to guilt you, you know, and try to try to play you up that way. That is their journey. And that's something that's on them. But for you, you're on a whole new journey. You are moving up and you are going to you know, you get the opportunity to build a new life. How cool is that? Now, the other thing that I hear, I have heard, is recovery will solve all your problems. So it it can be it can be true in sort of way, but here's the thing. You know, when you start your recovery, yes, it's a huge thing, but it's just the beginning. Whatever problems you had when you got sober probably still going to be there. The only difference is that you can't run and hide from them, you know. So you'll be learning to deal with them, to cope with stress and anxiety without using anything. So it's just you, your mind, your spirit, and all that to get you through. And, you know, not just survive, but thrive. Getting sober won't fix your marriage. It won't get you from not getting fired. It's not going to get your kids back or any of those things. Often the damage we have done is irreparable, but we can make amends and start living a life that is in line with our true selves. And we, when we do that, miracles 
can and do happen. You may meet the new love of your life or, you know, you may end up having actually a a fantastic relationship with your kids, you know, maybe as a co-parent or maybe you get into a new career that you may have not even thought about until you got clean and sober. Uh, And of course, making amends, you know, marriages can and do get back together, all that. The point is that even if they don't, there's always an opportunity at the other end of that. And, you know, the other thing too, family members, they, they, you know, we know they're just like praying for their loved one to get sober. Now, of course, it's a huge relief when they do get clean and sober and stay clean and sober. But guess what? There's still problems. You know, I mean, I can talk about this the whole, I think, you know, I think I have talked about uh, family relationships and all that. So that that's one you can check out because um, there's a lot of complexions to it. But in fact, the fact is many couples do divorce after one or even both people get sober. Lots of families still suffer, albeit in a different way and perhaps not as long. But dynamics change in the family. And when one person is not well, it affects everyone and everyone adjusts. But when that person gets well, some people have a hard time adjusting again. It's not easy. So, and you know, for many of us also drinking, drugging was our solution to everything. So it's like, now what? When we take that away, we're given the opportunity to find new and healthy ways to deal with everything, including our own selves. And that's a lifelong process. And a fun one at times. It can be frustrating, though. Um, But in the end, what comes from that is something so much better for us and healthier and brings more self-awareness and confidence. So again, recovery is not getting clean and sober. is not going to solve everything right away, but it's going to open you up to a completely new way of life and a new way of handling things. Um, the fourth thing, the fourth one I want to talk about, sobriety is religious. Hmm. Um, some feel that sobriety is all about the coming to Jesus moment and that it's all about, you know, if you talk to someone who's sober, it's just going to be like being at a sermon at all times and feeling like you're listening to a preacher all day. And especially if someone's coming from 12-step, well, there's the idea that it's religious as well. Now, 12-step itself you know, proclaims to be spiritual, not religious. There are arguments that, you know, it's based on Christianity and all this. That's a whole different <laughs> topic that that itself can be another uh, podcast. Um, but just remember, for a moment, we're talking about addiction, right? So if you think about it, we don't just stop 20 years of drug or alcohol abuse just like that. There's some dramatic turn of events that get us into sobriety. You know, we hit bottom, then we decide we want to change, and then we go off into recovery. But recovery isn't about, you know, waving a magic wand and saying, poof, you're cured. It's hard at first. You know, for those of you who have gone through it, you know it's hard. And it takes a lot of courage, persistence, and faith. Now, faith can come from religion. And for some people, it does. But not all. Some. (laughs) I don't have the numbers in front of me, clearly. Um, But it doesn't mean that all recovery is religious. There are many modalities when it comes to recovery. Now, there is a Christian one. If if that is uh, something that interests you, there is one that's called uh, Celebrate Recovery. And that is a religious-based program. Now, having said that, there are Buddhist-based recovery groups. And, you know, again, big argument. Is it religion? Is it not a religion? There you go. Have fun with that. (laughs) But there are other ways of recovering that have nothing to even do with spirituality. You know, SMART is one that's based more on scientific principles, uh, for example. Uh, Self-directed recovery 
uh, based on therapy or other ways like, you know, CBT or reprogram the subconscious, etc., have nothing to do with religion or spirituality. But for many, myself included, uh, spirituality is important in the recovery, but are not religious. Myself, I don't practice any religion, nor am I inclined to, but that's okay. You know, I may invoke words that may be attached to religion, but for me, they're personal and, you know, just kind of conform to the way I view things. And, you know, going back to the coming to Jesus moment, some people have had that moment, like literally kind of, you know, figuratively had that moment where they do feel that Jesus is part of it. And to me, that's wonderful. I mean, anything compared to where we were before is amazing. That's that's my personal view. You know, because sobriety is more than just, you know, it's more about being, it's a state of being and a way of living than a religion or a brand. So again, sobriety is not religious. It can, the religion certainly can play a part for some people, but not all sober people are walking, (laughs) are not preachers. So uh, I just wanted to kind of talk about that one. Um, The fifth one I wanted to talk about Um, recovery means that you can't talk about or be around alcohol or drugs ever again. Um, when you get into recovery early on, yes, of course, of course, not recommended you be around your drug of choice, so to speak. You're vulnerable, you're in a raw state, and you just need to stop hanging around places and people and situations where that thing you abused is at. Yeah. Very well, uh, you know, it, it's it's a it's a good idea not to be around that. So it's very quite it's quite simple. It's quite obvious. We get it. Um, but when you have some good time behind you, and more importantly, a healthy sobriety recovery, you're probably going to be around alcohol. You know, you may be around pills. Again, it depends on what it was. You know, if meth was your thing, you're probably not going to be around meth very much. If if you're living a life that is uh, healthy and you know geared towards your recovery um you know you can't hide or bubble wrap yourself i'm not saying that you know start working as a bartender um but you'll (laughs) but you know there's a time you might be at a company picnic or party there'll be weddings and birthdays and other celebrations and people would like to see you go and probably you would like to go you didn't get into recovery so you can stay at home in your dwelling all day you know hiding in a corner I mean, for me, like as a chef, um, I was surrounded by booze all day. In fact, and I'm talking like, you know, in in recovery, I'm also talking about, uh, you know, I was in charge of it. I mean, how crazy is that? (laughs) That you know, this 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 uh, alcoholic wasn't is was actually in charge of the alcohol. Um, But I could do it because my sobriety was healthy and still is. You know, I know people with 10, 12 years of sobriety who who literally have to cross the street when they see a liquor store coming up ahead. That doesn't sound like much freedom to me. They don't have a strong sobriety. And that's not a judgment. It's, it's an observation. You know, if they could deal with the things that made them, you know, reach in the first place, then passing a liquor store does nothing or very, very little uh, to them. But we have to be careful, though, guys. We can still be triggered at times. I'm not crazy about that word, but just... It's the vernacular. Um, but they can be fleeting moments, you know. And here's the thing. Sometimes people are worried about mentioning alcohol to me. Worried that's going to start me on this bender. <laughs> you know, people drink around me when I go out. You know, like I said, people at, at work, 
you know, trays of, of uh, you know, glasses of wine or bottles of beer or whatever would race past me, that's fine. People have wine at family holidays. It doesn't bother me. Um, but in the end, it's different for everyone. Um, someone who struggled with opioids may not want certain medications from the doctor, and that makes total sense. Some can do it, some can't. We have to manage that ourselves. So while we can learn to be comfortable to an extent being around alcohol and some drugs, it could be with some awareness about ourselves and where we're at. You know, in the end, recovery is a new life and a new way of being. We're not in hiding, you know, like in some boozy witness, (laughs) non-boozy witness protection program. You know, we can go out and enjoy ourselves and know that alcohol may be in places we go, and not feel like we're walking into a lion's den. You know, we're careful, but we don't exclude ourselves from life. So again, again, this you got to play this by ear. But the, the idea is that, yeah, we're going to be around certain things. And we just have to be in line with where we are in a recovery at that time. But again, we're not going to just shrink away and, and avoid life entirely because there might be a bottle of beer in the corner. <laughs> so, and uh, lastly... Oh, Nelly, this is a good one. And, um, uh, you know, again, if you know me um, and you follow me on certain social media, you'll probably, you've probably seen me go on about this too. So here's the other one. <clears throat> if you're on antidepressants or other medication, you're not sober. I know, right? <laughs> so... I get riled up when I hear this one. I, I just I just do. I, I have to take some, some deep breaths when I hear this one. Um, this is possibly the most irresponsible and dangerous thing one person in recovery can say to another. I've seen people nearly die because of this. And there are others who have died because some misinformed soul or perhaps an indifferent and uncaring asshat moron um, feel that they hold spiritual sway over others and believe they are the gatekeepers of other people's sobriety. I can spend, honestly, I can go on and on about this one, but let's distill this. We're not doctors. And even if we were, we are not the doctors of the other people in recovery. So why would you say something so irresponsible to someone who is in a life or death situation? What, you know, would you try to recast, would you try to recast a broken leg? Would you deal with someone's psychotic mental breakdown in a clinic? No, because you're not qualified. You're not their doctor, whatever it is. So stop telling people what meds they can and cannot use in recovery. People in early recovery are vulnerable and impressionable. They're hurting and will do whatever they can and need to get well. So when someone comes up, and tells them that their bipolar disorder medication or their antidepressants are still mood-altering drugs and therefore not sober, you're playing Russian roulette with someone's life. Many people in recovery are dual-diagnosed, which means they have concurrent issues, addiction being one of them. This is becoming more and more and more common. And those things need to be dealt with in separate ways. You know, for myself... I was taking antidepressants when I was drinking. The, the thing is, I was depressed, but that's because of the alcoholism. That's because of my mindset, and also the alcohol itself is a depressant. Now, when I got sober, a couple of weeks later, I just knew I didn't need them anymore. And so I went off of them. 
That is my story. That is me. That is not everyone's story, nor would I go and tell everyone because I did that. They need to come off their antidepressants. So for me to do that, it's dangerous, very dangerous. Now, I've been in many a discussion about this, and certain people will get defensive and then talk about things like, you know, well, caffeine is a drug, and you're sitting there drinking coffee, blah, blah, blah. Uh, or it's talking about nicotine or whatever. You know, like, what about those? Well, my dear friends, you know, then we would have to include the natural highs of the mind and chemistry, dopamine, let's say. What about the endorphin rush after running or, you know, the, the feeling we get after an orgasm? You know, we're meant to have different moods, naturally, you know, or what's the rush after eating a decadent dessert? Oh, my God, I love that. You know, where does it end? The point is that we don't go down that rabbit hole because it's a deflection from the truth that we're not the hall monitors for other people's recovery. What they put into their body or behaviors they take is on them. We can only guide, mentor, and share our stories. Now... Someone takes whiskey daily and calls himself sober? Well, that can be a frank and honest discussion at some point, of course, with people who uh, are in, in their circle of sphere of influence. You know, I've seen people drunk in meetings claim that they're sober. Hell, I've seen people taking chips and medallions who reeked of booze. That's on them. You know, we can bring it to their attention, of course, but we're not in charge of their recovery. We can love them and show them the way and all that, but in the end... It's up to them. It's on them. We're not in charge of their mental and emotional health. If they need medication for their schizophrenia or whatnot, that is their business and their doctor's business. Worry about yourself. Concern yourself with giving freely and being of service. Focus on how you can better yourself and the lives of others and not point flaming swords of ignorance around because you want to sound important and also endanger others in the process. Physician, heal thyself. You know what I mean? Okay, deep breath. All good. It's all good. (laughs) Look, you know, there's so many more myths that we could have discussed. Like, there are plenty more. And hell, I could have spent three episodes just talking about myths on addiction, never mind ones on recovery. And, of course, guys, you know, do I have to say this? Um, What I just said is all my opinion. There is no scientific based facts uh, on what I was talking about. These are just things I've heard over the years and uh, just thoughts, really. Um, And you can disagree. Lovely. No worries. And if you do, I would love to know what you have to say, actually. Uh, You can email me at paul at paulsilvacoaching.com. I would totally be cool with listening to um, uh, your thoughts, you know, on how wrong I am. on any or all of these. It's totally cool. And, you know, it's not always easy dealing with misconceptions and such from others. You know, lots of folks will tell you lots of things. In the end, seek counsel with others if you aren't sure of something. You know, there's so many wonderful people and resources when it comes to recovery. And as I said earlier, there's so much information out there. Don't take everything from one source. You know, explore, ask questions, research. This is your life. You know, find out as much as you can. You know, you wouldn't book a hotel room or spa or whatever, you know, these days um, by just reading one Yelp review or whatnot. 
You know, we check around, we see what others have done and what they thought and do that here. You know, find a mentor that you like and trust and, and who has what you want, so to speak, and, and let them also guide you. Just question and ask. You know, if you're in recovery and you're struggling with these kind of things as well or any other mindset or life trends issues, again, you know, message me, Paul at Paul Silva Coaching. You know, I'm a coach. Uh, for those you don't know, and I work with people in recovery to work on strengthening the recovery or helping them up level their sobriety and get them to a stronger place, a calmer place, so they don't feel like they're walking on eggshells eggshells around in their own lives. So if that sounds like you or someone you know, drop me a line today and I'll get back to you. My clients have seen you know great results and are more positive, fulfilled, and are much better places in their recovery. You know, they don't feel like something is missing. And, and with that, they're more active, more content, and feel like things are more in line with them. You know, they have better relationships and work is much better for them as well. And for those clients who are in life transitions, they seek me because they know the value of having someone who understands what it's like to have been in addiction and just gets it, you know? Um, you can find out more about what I do and my services at www.paulsilvacoaching.com. And you can also find out more about my book, Longing for the Spirit, and my other podcast. I know, right? This is why I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning every day. Uh, the podcast has the same name, and you can find all the information for that at www.longingforthespirit.com. Um, the other podcast, you know, last week or week and a half, I actually got to spoke... I actually got to spoke. I actually got to speak to me. English speak goodly. Um, I spoke to <laughs> uh, amazing, amazing uh, uh, friend and guest, uh, Claire Rudy Foster. Uh, they are in recovery and also trans and a brilliant author. Uh, you should really check that episode out. It's on the site. Check it out. Really cool. Uh, okay. Enough shilling. Um, just want to say thank you. Thank you again for being here. Always a pleasure having you here at Buzzkill. Uh, sending you much love, especially if you're struggling. Uh, if you're new, you're not alone. So have a wonderful day, guys. And thanks for being here on The Buzz.